Good morning, church. Blessed Sabbath. Now, if uh, did the song bring back memories, good memories, hopefully. Um, if you grew up with uh, the program, the show, um, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, I got the title right, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, um, it should bring back memories. And uh, for some reason, whenever he came on TV, um, my grandmother wasn't too fond of him. And um, the best way I can, I can translate, you know, in the Creole is she found him um, creepy. <laughs> yeah. But as much as I respected my grandmother, and I really did respect her a lot, um, Mr. Rogers uh, won out on this one. And um, his routine of enthusiastically bursting through the door and taking out his, uh, like, formal jacket and putting on the cardigan and, uh, oh, sitting down and taking off his, uh, what, his leather shoes and putting on the, lacing up the sneakers. You know, it was so predictable, and there was something very comforting about that. Mr. Rogers. And um, so, yeah, I didn't mind being his neighbor. You know, what I know now is that his invitation, won't you be my neighbor, was anchored very deeply into um, a, a deep conviction about Jesus and about his own faith. But um, even though I've come to find out now that formerly he was trained as a minister, he was a pastor, um, he never actually said the word Jesus in his program or even spoke about the Bible. But there was something in my child imagination that was really attracted to, to this man on the TV. You know, Paul said about neighboring in Galatians 5.14 uh, to the disciples of Jesus, um, that the entire law, the entire word of God um, is fulfilled in keeping one command. And he echoes the words of Jesus when he shares this. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. So we're preparing uh, ourselves as a community uh, to welcome people, strangers, uh, outsiders, um, and ask them to be our neighbors, to make them neighbors so they can journey with us as we walk uh, with Jesus. So this is like part three of our sermon series, God and Mr. Rogers Wants to Be uh, My Neighbor. And what I want to talk to you about today is um, to walk with Jesus, what it is and what it means to walk with Jesus. And, um, you know, the thing is, if you've ever wondered about God, if we've, whenever we wonder about God, it's because he's first wondered about us. You know, from the very beginning, and it's throughout this book, you know, from the very beginning, God takes the initiative, and he's calling out to his people. And literally from the beginning, uh, in Genesis um, chapter 3, verse 9, uh, the humans hear God walking in the garden. God walking in the garden. I don't know what it sounds like, but they hear him, and God is calling out to these humans and say, let's go take a walk. God takes initiative, and if you've ever wondered about God, is because he's wondering about you and he's wanting to take a walk with you and with me. So this is what I want to talk about is um, what does it mean to walk with Jesus? It might be just be a review. What does it mean to walk with Jesus and um, how the disciples believed what Jesus said about himself and two, 
how the Word of God became part of everything, the fabric of their life, everything they did, everything they believed. Um, in other words, walking with God, how they believed the Word of God, and how they obeyed the Word of God, and how the Word of God was alive in them and, and through them. So God's initiative to, for a walk is... Um, everywhere in the book, and it's even more evident in my favorite passage of the Bible, and it's Luke uh, chapter 24, the walk to Emmaus. And some of you, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I hear about, I hear the text being preached uh, on Easter, you know, during the Easter time, but we don't have to wait uh, until Easter. It's a powerful story. So if you have your Bible with you, or you, have, you want to grab one in the pew and follow along, or you just want to listen, that's fine. But we're just going to explore Luke 24 in the short time that we have together, and we'll read uh, some of the passages within it. But I want to say what a prayer again. You know, we've been worshiping this morning. It's been beautiful from the music and the sound, you know, um, and we've already welcomed God's presence. And we just want to thank God again, and as we open his word, that, that he would speak, truly that he would speak. Let's pray together. Lord God, this is your word, um, and it declares itself to be alive and active. And our prayer today, Lord, that it would be alive and active in us. So Lord, speak. Your people are listening. In your name, amen. Amen. So the road to Emmaus... Um, it doesn't get old because it's all about God's surprise, right? It's all about what God is doing, doing in our lives, and he's up to something really wonderful. Basically, that's the essence of, uh, the, of the road to Emmaus story. So when you open it, at first you see two figures in the distance, and the closer you get, they seem very agitated, these two people, and they are rehashing the events of the day. They're very worried. Um, they've uh, gone through a traumatic experience th- that weekend, so they're rehearsing this, what happened. They're trying to understand uh, what it means, and, um, and they can't even consider um, nothing is making sense. And suddenly, uh, in the narrative, a stranger shows up and asks them, as they're talking and walking on the road, um, what's going on? What are you talking about? Now, the, uh, the audience of this scene, um, we know what's going on. We know it's, the stranger is no other than, than Jesus. And we know he's resurrected, but these two people don't know it yet. It is unfathomable. It is um, beyond their comprehension that it could possibly be Jesus. And there's immediately two things that jumps out at us, you know, two mystery. Obviously, there's, there's the obvious one, right, of you have a, human be- a being that essentially was dead and is alive again. So that's a huge, uh, amazing mystery. But the other two, uh, one that, that, that strike our attention as you read it is that um, uh, it says in verse 15, it says that um, Jesus himself came up to, to walk alongside of them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And the Lord must be teaching us something here um, because he must have been not that different. And maybe it was a supernatural cloak that prevented them to recognize the person that they've walked with um, for many years. Uh, And if Jesus is trying to teach us something, he is oftentimes associated with uh, the stranger. And here he is uh, the stranger. So that's a lesson. And maybe another one is that Jesus has a plan. We may not know it yet, but he's going to reveal himself in his own time. So that's one thing. They are prevented from recognizing Jesus. 
And then this, is this other thing, it's small, but then it's strange, right? The second one is that um, even though the book of Mark mentions in passing these two disciples, because Luke calls them disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, um, only one of them is named. The other one is unnamed and um, it doesn't seem to speak. So we don't know who the other disciples are is, but recently some people have suggested that the other disciple, the one with Cleopas, uh, might be Luke himself, trying to be humble and not trying to be part of the story too much, but he's, this is, he's the one with Cleopas. Or maybe perhaps it was a son, a brother, maybe even his wife. So we don't know for some reason, but we definitely know that the name of one of them was Cleopas. And um, it might be significant Because we see that name again. You Bible students already know this, but you see his name again uh, in the gospel. And when he's mentioned in the gospel, uh, it's uh, in the book of John, it mentions Cleopas. It says that in John uh, 19.25, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, which is the same, the same name. So some have suggested that Clopas that uh, would have been perhaps um, Mary's husband after Joseph died, she remarried, or maybe Cleopas was um, an uncle of, of Jesus. So by this time, as people hear the narrative, as they listen to Luke 24, surely they're leaning closer because at any moment they would expect that Cleopas would recognize his nephew or stepson, Jesus, now alive, walking beside him. One thing we are, uh, that tends to be a consensus about is that Cleopas was identified because at the time this was written, Cleopas was alive and people knew who he was. This community knew who he was. So it was a way to give credibility to this amazing story. So it was a way to say, you know what, this story is true. And if you want more details and if you want to corroborate it, there's Cleopas. Go talk to him. One thing we know for sure These two individuals were very distressed and that Jesus wanted to walk with them. So I'm going to read this particular passage for us this morning in our, in our study together. So Luke 24 says, One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things we have, uh, that have happened uh, there in these days? And Jesus says, What things, right? And They say, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deeds before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. You know, they're journeying away from Jerusalem, away from such a place of promise, a place where They had had an uh, amazing vision of their future being rebuilt. Uh, they have invested time uh, in this amazing teacher, in, in, in this new future they were excited about. They had been so sure. But now they're saying we had hope. Even as followers of Jesus, sometimes we lose hope. You know, do you know what it feels like to really pour yourself into something, you know, into a project, into a person, and have it all stripped away, and you're left with nothing. And that's the thing. They're going back, and they're struggling to go back, because what will they rebuild? What will they go back to? And they are um, disappointed and, and crestfallen. But the thing is, and the hope in this story, is that Jesus is about to do something new 
And that's an understatement because nobody has woken himself up from the dead before. And they cannot imagine right now, they couldn't possibly imagine what Jesus had in store for them. So first, God would have to get rid of any preconceived idea. There was no room for any old thing. They had to be rearranged. They used to call it a paradigm shift. Their mind had to be rearranged. So in this place of hopelessness is a place where Jesus reveals something new and wonderful. So they needed hope, and Jesus came near. In the verse 28, he said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if to go on further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is early evening, the day's almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. You know, it was, uh, it was very oriental to do this. You know, it was conventional uh, uh, etiquette when a, a traveler came by that you would offer them a place to stay. You know, there was a blessing in being hospitable to the traveler. You know, whenever I read this text, you know, I remind me of, um, you know, the, tra- the traditions of my, my, my parents, you know, uh, culture. You know, sometimes people will... Um, will will want you to ask. It's kind of the part of the dance. They'll, they'll go, but they'll want to say, no, stay. And I'm like, mom, they said they don't want any. Yeah, but you have to ask again. Would you want to get, sure, I'd like some. So it's part of the dance of polite. So when I read this, I think, well, maybe this is what Jesus is doing, you know? No, stay. <laughs> so he says, he stays. But it's not just the reason why they want him to stay. They were hooked. They were thirsty for what the stranger was sharing with them. And suddenly their hopes seem to be um, reignited, and they want to go deeper into what he has to say. So the journey here in Emmaus with the disciples uh, and Jesus ends um, and also begins inside a house at a dining room table. And this is something strange. Though Jesus is the guest, he's acting like he's the host. Because this is what he does. When he was at the table with them, the text continues, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? Were not our hearts burning within us while he's opened the scripture to us? And when was the last time that you felt or you experienced your heart, you know, heartburn, right? Not the heart, that kind of heart, but your heart burning because of something you heard or because of something you read from the scripture. The word of God says that, you know, God asked, is not my word fire? God expects that his word will do something supernatural, that he, it was, something will happen because it's his word. You know, the first time I ever experienced it, it will stay with me forever. I was 15 or 16 years old, and my family and I had just moved um, to Florida, and um, my grandmother uh, had a friend who was a retired minister, a retired Adventist minister, and uh, he, she had told this pastor, you know, uh, kind of look after my daughter and, and, and my granddaughters. And he did and, and um, helped us find a, a place to stay. But at one point, um, he told us about a crusade. 
I had never heard that word before. But you know, we didn't have any friends, we didn't know anybody, and this sounded like fun. So we begged our mother, please, 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 can we go? So we went to the crusade, and uh, so when we arrived there, we saw in the middle of this big field, this white tent set up, and uh, people were filing in, and it was really happy. There was a, a, a stage in there, there was music, it looked like so much fun. And, um, and the preacher came on, and you know, I don't remember his message, but I do remember his name. But his message must have had an impact, because at the transition of the program, there was a a part of the program where the evangelist was going to um, have people write questions and answer answer them right up front, no preparation. And I took that piece of card and I knew the question I was going to ask, you know, how can I know what the Bible says is real? How can I believe? So when the time came, you know, after the music and the transition, the, 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 the evangelist uh, took the box, container, whatever. I was sitting way, way in the back, <laughs> way in the back. And he pulled out the first card, looked at it, looked up, looked at it, and he said, um, he read it, how can I know that the Bible is true and how can I believe? He said, <laughs> you have everything you need to believe. Just believe. It wasn't particularly profound, but you know what? I was already curious. I always really wanted to know. It was one little push that I needed. So by the time the the program ended, there was an opportunity as you left to have a Bible study. So I signed up for Bible study, you know? And um, so on Sunday, uh, knock on the door, and there was this gentleman with a cardigan and a Bible, and he was ready to go. And uh, my mom was like, who are you? <laughs> and who called you? And, um, and she turned around and I had to say, me. You know, normally I'd never do something like that, you know, invite somebody without telling my mom, but you know, she let him in. And under her watchful eye and the amusement of my sisters, this man sat down, opened up the Bible. I can still see the Bible. He opened it up. It felt like this. And he said, uh, whatever questions you have. It was like, you could have told me, you know, God was in front of me. I'm going to get to ask God any questions I want. So I asked the first thing that came to my mind, what happens when you die? So he calmly, a little smile, he opened the Bible and, and showed me the word and text. And, and my mind was absolutely blown. Absolutely blown. My heart, how do I describe it? And I know I, I, I managed to do it at first service, but... My heart was just that, you know, it, it burned within me and suddenly it felt like an awareness and the awareness felt like a recognition of something and someone amazing and I wanted to know more and I was so thirsty. And when was the last time you felt your heart burn within you because of the word of God? The Word of God is like fire. He comments on itself, but it also says that that burning, uh, that fire, that flame is the faith that God gives us to be able to see the glory of God. The faith allows us to see what otherwise we could never be able to see. Consequently, Romans 10.17 tells us, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard 
through the word of Christ. What is the word of Christ? It is all over this word here. It is the gospel. It is God who takes initiative for us. And by faith, this initiative, this reaching out for us, by faith, suddenly our life is his life. By faith, suddenly uh, we are made young forever. And by faith, we, can, we walk with Jesus. Even in the dark, he's beside us. We walk with Jesus uh, with the promise that we'll walk with him forever, not in with each other, not as strangers, but as friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we will walk with God, not hide from him, but as his child, his friend, together forever. This is good news, and God did it. This is the better news. So when Jesus is at the table with the disciples from Emmaus, he sounds, you know, like the host, right? And when he took the bread, what did he have reminded you of? And I don't know, maybe some of you know why, and, and if, the, if Cleopas and, and his companion have seen this before, maybe they've heard that Jesus did this. But at the moment that he breaks the bread, passes it on to them, that's when they recognize him. And then he leaves. And those, looking, and those of us looking at the story, now it is our turn to not see him anymore. Where did Jesus go? Where is Jesus? Jesus is with those two disciples. Jesus is with them as they hike back up to Jerusalem. They don't even take the time to rest. They were going to rest and slow down. It's nighttime. They don't care. They go back to those seven miles, and they go back to the others, and they tell them about the, it was true. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of everything we've been waiting for and longing for. It is true. And I must say, after my, con- after my conversion, I tell you, I wrote to all my friends back, back home, back in Canada, repent. I don't recommend it. But it was balanced with a lot of love because I said, I want to save the world. They have to know about this message. You know, the Bible is foundational to knowing Jesus and building a creed that makes neighbors out of strangers. You know, here in the United States, at least, you know, it's so easy to take the Bible for granted. I mean, we have a Bible in our, in our smartphone, if you have a smartphone. We have Bibles in our hotels. You have Bibles right now in your pew. So maybe it's easy to, to take it for granted, the Bible. But knowing the Bible is not our problem. You know, it's not our issue. The head knowledge and uh, the memorization of the Word uh, doesn't seem to be um, our problem. Living it is, is so much harder for us. Jesus summed it up when it means to live the word. He distilled it to himself and through his prophets. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you've been following the events of the past few days, you know, it's bewildering. And uh, of course, I don't own a TV, and I'm not bragging about that. I, I just don't happen to own a TV, so I caught up a little bit a bit later, but... Um, just what's happening in this country, you know, the violence in uh, Louisiana and in um, Minnesota and uh, the horror of what unfolded in front of us in Dallas, unspeakable, uh, the violence and the retaliation. And um, it wasn't sure how to respond. It was a lot of consternation, grief, anger. Um, I was concerned about my brothers and sisters' conversation devolving a little bit on social media. Um, where is Jesus in all this? 
See, our neighborhoods are in crises. And, um, and loving our neighbor means that if, if one neighborhood is in crises, then it affects all of us. I love this quote. I found this quote by Dr. Odin, a former teacher of mine. She um, wrote this book on receiving uh, God and his people. And she says that those with eyes to see will know their brothers and sisters created by the same God, living as mutual guests in the same house, provided by the same divine hosts. Eyes of recognition will see the common humanity shared by the other and other and thereby truly recognize him or her. Where is Jesus now? Jesus is with the people, with the stranger that he's asked us to reach out to. They may look different from us, but Jesus is there. Where's Jesus now? He's with his people. He's with this church, the same people he's told to go. To all the people, he said, tell them about what I've taught you. And all the people means all the people from all nations, from all ethnicity. He said, go and teach them. And the reason why, if we're sitting here thinking there's no way we can do this, or I can do this, or I'm not uh, versed enough to do this, the only reason why we can do this is because we can claim the promise of Matthew 28. It's not an afterthought. It's not a, a greeting. But the, Matthew, uh, the, the, the promise of Matthew 28, it comes with this. As you go and make disciples, it says, I am with you. Uh, when I was at Facebook, uh, Lori, and I don't have her last name, but I thank her, thank her for that. I think I might have posted something on this series. And she said, you ought to read this book. Um, the Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers. So that was like Monday or Tuesday. So I said, you know what? I will read it. And it's written by, um, by a, a faith-based journalist called Amy Hollingsworth. I don't know if she's a journalist or not, but she still happened to be doing this project. And um, she was doing a project related to children's programming. So she was um, uh, uh, interviewing uh, Mr. Uh, Fred Rogers. And to both their surprise... The result of this interview is a, a lasting friendship, a friendship that is captured by the correspondence through letters, uh, letters about each other's family, uh, about prayers and faith. They encourage each other. And she kept these letters. And the last letter she received from him actually uh, arrived a few weeks before he died in the 2000. But she shares how the, 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 the impact of his presence, and she attributed that presence really to his love to the word and his study of the word. And she said that even the, the cameramen sometimes, as we're filming the show, would just devolve in tears because they were moved by his, uh, by his gentleness. Um, one thing I thought was really cute, at one point she calls him, um, I mean, it's not too idealistic, but, but there's one point she calls him uh, Mother Teresa in a cardigan. Is that charming? Anyway, I thought it was kind of cute. But... Um, but one thing, one thing that caught my attention uh, from this book is she writes about this prayer that Fred Rogers um, always said before he walked into the studio. Dear God, let some word that is heard be yours. Dear God, let some words that is heard be yours. 
to walk with Jesus um, is to believe what Jesus says about himself. And to walk with Jesus is to allow the word um, to live in us and through us. May that be our prayer too, that as God's word is alive in us, um, may we, as we ask people, don't you be my neighbor? May they see Jesus. Amen.